This episode is marked for sensitive content. Please check content warnings in the episode description before listening. This week on The Breakup Breakdown. He and I had the same job. It was entirely platonic. I was engaged. People did look at us sideways. He was like, I think if you and your fiance weren't together, you and I would have had a different type of relationship. I went back. I told my fiance. He was like, you cannot ever see him again. He like begged for me back. What am I going to do? When coworkers start to notice two people in the office hitting it off, it's hard not to notice. And when one's engaged, well, it definitely turns heads. Hey, what's up? It's Abby from The Breakup Breakdown. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. If you're new to the podcast, this is the show that gets to the bottom of those messy breakups you'll want to know more about. Sometimes it comes from a submission from somebody who's nosy about maybe that girl they follow on Instagram. They're not really friends with them and they kind of notice like, oh, I think, I think they just went through a breakup. They deleted all of their photos with their boyfriend. Or maybe it's somebody who is doing a get ready with me on TikTok. TikTok, and they kind of alluded to a breakup and you want to know more about it. And you know what? It could even be your own breakup story. Whatever it is, we love getting the details and getting some good lessons along the way too. If you've got a submission for the podcast, head down to the episode description. You'll find a submission form link there. Also, while you're there, check out the details for the Breakup Breakdown podcast brunch that's going down on September 23rd in Atlanta, Georgia. And stay tuned for some discount details. And as always, if there's a certain part of the interview that you want to jump to, again, head to the episode description. Hey, Heartbreakers, welcome back to another episode of The Breakup Breakdown. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. So we actually have a very interesting submission this week. It actually came from some office gossip from my own place of work. Got a little submission that said that there were some coworkers who got together at our office. And the story of how they got together is really interesting because um, one of them was engaged at the time. But before we get into all the details. I want to let you know which domestic violence shelter we are giving a shout out for this week. Every single week we give a little shout out to a different shelter throughout the country just to raise awareness if you feel called to help them out. This week we're raising awareness for The Dwelling Place in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Dwelling Place was established about 25 years ago and it helps provide physical, emotional, and even spiritual needs for women and children who are fleeing from abusive partners. Again, you can check out all those details in the episode description. And as I mentioned earlier, the Breakup Breakdown Brunch is going down on September 23rd in Atlanta, Georgia. Tickets are available for $50 plus taxes and fees. And that does include a brunch buffet and a live podcast where a very special someone is going to come up on stage with me and... We're gonna do a breakdown of their breakup. And of course, we'll do some other fun stuff too. But what I do wanna let you know is that if you are listening to this episode within the first 24 hours of it getting posted, so within 24 hours of the August 15th publishing date, you can go to the episode description, head to the Eventbrite link, and when you order your tickets, you can use the code HOTGOSS8, that's H-O-T-G-O-S-S-8, for 10% off your ticket, yeehaw. Okay, so let's get into this week's episode. So like I said, I had gotten this submission from my own coworkers where they were like, hey, Abby, like I know you have this podcast where you talk about breakups and we kind of think we have the perfect person for you to talk about. And I was like, okay, mm, I'm all ears. Like for me to not only get like a good breakup story for the podcast, but also to get like a little bit of background about my own coworkers, like that's pretty sweet too. Because we've all been there, like you start a new job and there's a learning curve obviously to your role and the job that you have, but there's also kind of like this office culture that people who have been around for a while know 
and everyone kind of knows like everybody's history and backstories. It's hard to get caught up on that. And obviously I heard this and I was like, well, this is a chance for me to kind of get to know the people I work with a little bit more. And so basically, I mean, this quote unquote submission came from them and they were like a couple of years ago, like there are these two people who work together who were just like the best of friends. Obviously, like, you know, you see a guy and a girl and if they both, you know, lean in the same sexual preferences, you know, if if he's into women and she's into men and you see them getting along, like your first thought is like, ooh, like maybe there's a potential office couple happening here. You know what I mean? Like I get invested in that kind of stuff. I'm very guilty of shipping those couples. But the problem was is they were like, well, she was engaged. And they kind of mentioned to me that there was like some mumblings that it wasn't the best relationship, but they had been together for like a decade, you know, had a house together and like dogs. You know what I mean? It's not one of those relationships that just like dissolves overnight. They did tell me that there was one day where she was like, you know, having like an awful day at work and was like in the closet, like on the phone with this guy that she was engaged to and like sobbing and they heard yelling. And so obviously like there was some concern there. And and then, you know, lo and behold, there was kind of a happy ending. I mean, I think it was like six or six months later, like a year later, her and this guy started officially dating. And it was like this amazing thing to see, you know, the office couple that everyone shipped get together. And so they were like, you need to talk to one of them and get the full details. We'll start off with finding out how she got with her fiance. And then we'll hear about how her new relationship played into all of that breaking up. So let's get into it when we break down this week's breakup. It was very anticlimactic. He Facebook messaged me and said I was pretty and I said thanks. <laughs> wow. Um, the bar <laughs> in <laughs> hell. The bar the, the bar was low. The ball was in his court. Essentially, I was 19 and he went to the same school as me. And he was on I'm not gonna say anything that like alludes to who he is. Well, we went to the same school and we would cross each other on the sidewalk. And every time I'd look at him, I wasn't really flirting or anything. I was just like looking at him because he was like I don't know. He was in my line of sight and he would like shy away and make a weird face and run like we were in kindergarten. Super, super hot. (laughs) So sexy. So I thought he hated me. Like I thought that he just thought I was weird. And then one day he messaged me on Facebook that I was beautiful. And I just said, thanks. What was your first impression of him? Like, did you stalk his profile? He didn't have much of a profile to stalk. And that's true to this day. Like he's very much a ghost. So I saw his picture and I thought he was cute back then. And we started talking and that was pretty much it. Okay. So you guys started talking. Did he ask you out on a date or was it kind of like a virtual relationship? So here's the thing. We didn't go on a lot of dates even in the beginning. He was very much introverted and only stayed in his room. So the minute that I started dating him, I sort of got isolated from everyone else at school. And so our first like date, if you will, I think we saw a movie at some point, but the first time we hung out, we literally just hung out. We just hung out in his room and we watched that like music video of Taylor Swift, but it was the goat, you know, like Ah! (laughs) trouble, trouble, trouble. Yeah, yeah. that was like peak 2012 BuzzFeed humor. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) You hang out, you fall in love over goat memes, I'm assuming. Yeah, I don't know so, if I call it love, but I thought it was. Okay, well, talk to me about that. I've heard people say that a lot. Like they thought they were in love, but they weren't. Why do you think you were in love? And why do you now know that that, that was not love? It was a trauma bond. Like it was legitimately an abusive trauma bond. I was borderline attracted to him. Granted, at the time, I didn't know I was bi. So I hadn't really been given any time in my young adult life to explore anybody else. I had gotten out of a relationship. 
relationship right before him, but that was more of a high school thing and, and not really super serious. And, you know, I hadn't had sex. I didn't have sex till I was 25. And that kind of plays into this a little bit because he and I were together for eight years. So I didn't have a lot of experience. You had sex with him for the first time at 25? With anybody and with him. And he hadn't had sex with anyone else either. Oh, interesting. We were together for six years before we actually had sex. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. (laughs) 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 Let's let's unpack this together. Tell me where that came from. Like you just didn't experience that kind of attraction and you eventually maybe just did it because you thought, oh, I'm 25, I should have sex. Or did it come from like religious trauma? Like, tell me where that came from. Yeah, it wasn't moral. It wasn't religious. When we were, I was maybe 19 or 20. We'd been together for like six months to a year. I couldn't take estrogen. So I couldn't be on the birth control pill. Um, So I asked him, what if I got pregnant? What would you do? And he immediately said abortion. So I told him if that was his response, I didn't want to. We could do everything else. You know, we, we had sex in other ways. So it's not like we did nothing. But for six years, until I found the right form of birth control for me, I just decided I didn't want to leave it to chance and be a single mom or be a mom with someone who didn't want a kid. So are you on a progesterone only birth control or like the copper? Okay. It's the progesterone that goes in your arm. It's fantastic. It's Nexplanon. I love it. She's my bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. She keeps the babies away. It's not for long, but for now. For now, for now. Okay, so because I just took us on a little detour, I'm going to re... I'm going to get us back on track. At what point in your relationship do you feel like things started to take a turn for the worst? Immediately. Immediately. Okay, so when you say so when you say immediately, like what kind of behavior are you referring to? It was stuff that like as a 19-year-old, I thought, oh, he did this, but he wouldn't do it to me kind of deal. You know, the second or third time we hung out, he started talking about how he has anger issues. And, and And this is a man who never drank, never smoked, never did drugs. He was completely sober. And I know that for a fact the entire time I was with him. So any behavior that came from him stemmed from him. Not that alcohol doesn't stem from you too, but you know what I mean? The first like few weeks we were hanging out, he went into a story about his anger issues and he was almost bragging about it. He was telling me that when he was 18, he almost choked his brother out for eating one of his cookies. He told him not to touch. And it was so bad that his dad called the police on him, like in their and he he would tell me that story as like like a I don't know like an anecdote about his life like it was just something that happened and oh you don't want to get involved with me because I have these anger issues but you know I, I it's 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 one of those things like I'm reading this book about like narcissistic abuse where they make themselves seem so complicated but it's really simple they're just abusive um so that was one of them and like as we go through this i'm gonna continue to say that like he's a person he is deserving of a life that he's happy in as am i and neither one of us treated each other right all the time in this relationship i'm not without fault too There was just a clear abusive situation and I was not the abuser, but there were times that I was absolutely hard to handle. You know what I mean? So I like to keep it a little less black and white and I don't like to paint him out as the entire villain. I didn't recognize it as abuse until after I was out, to be honest with you. And I still have a hard time today even saying I was abused because he like he never left a mark on me. You know what I mean? It did get physical, but he never left a mark on me. Six months into the relationship, my my own mom, who I got very alienated from my family, which is 
a combination of the abuse and the isolation and things that I did, you know, I'm not completely innocent. She sent me an article six months into the relationship about abuse. And I thought she was crazy. And she was like, I think you're in an abusive relationship. And I said, you're crazy. Like you're the abuser, mom, because I was convinced she was and it, it was him. What did your mom notice from your relationship that she called you out and was like, I think you're in an abusive relationship? What did she see? I can't remember. I still have the article somewhere, but she sent me a list and was like, I really think you should read this. And I got so mad that we stopped talking. And the funny thing was, it was after I broke up with him once. I broke up with him six months in because I thought he was mean. And I didn't think he was really someone I should be with. He wound up begging for me back by writing me a letter. And I I thought the letter was sweet at the time. I was 19. But looking back at the letter, it was pretty fucked up. Because the letter essentially said, he spoke very strange. Like he had a very strange way of saying things. And he described a metaphor and he said, what do you do when your toy is broken? Do you go buy a brand new one or do you try to fix the toy that you love? I choose to fix the toy. And he like begged for me back. And at the time I thought that was just his roundabout weird way of saying like, I love you. But later on I realized like I am his possession. Like I'm an object that he enjoys trying to fix. He enjoyed breaking me and then fixing me again. I told you I had a bunch of issues. I was dependent on him. And I think my mom saw that cycle and saw what was going on and saw me distancing myself from them. And she met him a few times and was like, something's wrong with this person. And like looking back on that letter, I don't know why I took him back. I think I was just impressed by the fact that I could leave someone and they would come back to me like that. And it was my second relationship in my life, you know, like and it was my first serious one. So it's just very interesting. And he definitely fed off that. It's the, the breaking me and then fixing me. And each fight would turn him on. So like after he would like abuse me, he would want to have sex. Like that's what he was excited when I was upset. He liked it when I was angry. It was weird. It gets worse, but we're just starting. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. It gets worse. Well, tell me how it gets worse. It ranged. It was emotional, mental. And I struggle saying that it was physical, even though I've been told it was because like I said, he didn't give me a black eye. It wasn't shattered glass on the floor. There wasn't like fistfights between the two of us. But this was towards the end. But like he dragged me across a parking lot. And that's why I gave him an engage the engagement ring back. It wasn't but it wasn't I, I preface it. It wasn't skin to pavement. We had been fighting about something and I was upset. So I sat down on the curb behind our house and told him to just leave me alone. I just want to sit here in the dark for a second. And he told me the reason he did this was he didn't want the neighbors to see me upset and think something. Mm-hmm. So he took the dogs back inside, came back out and grabbed me by my forearms so hard that like I thought they were going to bruise and started dragging me like my my body weight behind him towards the house. And so I was throwing my body weight back and like telling him to let me go and he wouldn't. And then he let me go on purpose and he admitted to this. He let me go on purpose so that I would fall. And I did. So then I just like stayed out there for a little while. And it was it was stuff like that. It was stuff that he wouldn't physically leave a mark. So if I tried to describe it to anyone, like I would sound crazy. Like one time we were fighting and we were taking a couple of pillows down to a dumpster and he he was huge. So imagine someone three, two, three times my size and he took the pillow and slammed it down on the top of my head so hard that I saw stars and I had a headache the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. But what am I going to do? Tell people that he hit me with a pillow, you know, like and, and it was stuff like that that really messed with my sense of reality. Like so like stuff like that. And the mental and emotional was he like he called me the C word. He called me bitch. He called like everything that you can imagine and just very much getting into my head about who I am, what I was worth and the fact that no one would ever like love me. So just stuff like that. 
I can feel the weight of what that must have been like to go through to feel like you're going crazy and then to also be miserable in the relationship because this guy is clearly mistreating you. Do you bottle this up so much that at one point you're just like, I'm done and I want out? Or did it take... Did it because I like with abusers, like you leave and you said they want to fix the toy and they want you to come back. So was it a lot of push and pull for a while? That was sort of the um, the prelude to what ended up happening. (laughs) My current boyfriend, he and I met at a radio station that we worked at um, and we were best friends for 10 months. Yeah, we did everything together, everything to the point where people did look at us sideways. But when I tell you there was nothing going on, like it was entirely platonic. I was engaged. He was four years younger than me. We're coworkers. We just got along really fucking well. Talk to me about how your friendship and your ex-fiance, tell me about how those two relationships sort of coexisted for a, a time, I'm assuming. It started off with he and I had the same job position, so I was training him. Um, so there wasn't even like any type of power dynamic. We were literally peers. We had to hang out because during the pandemic, um, we couldn't go into the office. So he moved down here from out of state and he didn't have anybody. So we just kind of like hung out at coffee shops. You know, we'd work in each other's houses or apartments. We, we'd find places to work because we were both struggling with how antisocial the pandemic was. And so we just started hanging out. And then the more that we started hanging out, we just got like, we're, we're just so like, we had so much fun. I laughed so hard with him that like, I didn't want to hang out with anybody else. And none of it was sexual and none of it was talking about feelings. It was all just, this is my best friend. You know, my mom said something to me. She's like, who you date should be your best friend. And that like stuck with me over a lot of years because I would look at my ex and be like, not only are you not my best friend, but I think you hate me. Like, I think you legitimately hate me. He would tell me he hated me. He would tell me he despised me, that he didn't love me. And I think a problem was like, I hated myself too. So when I met my current boyfriend, I noticed that I stopped hating myself so much. He saw something in me that was likable. Obviously he's likable. And we just had a really good time. That relationship kind of blossomed and we were constantly, (laughs) this is funny. We were constantly looking for a girlfriend for him. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about that. When he's describing what he's looking for in a girlfriend, is he like basically describing you? Yes. And and, and it didn't dawn on me. It didn't dawn on either one of us. I think at one point I sent him a text with my little bitmoji that I had created and he looked at it and said, that looks like my future wife. (laughs) Wait, that's... Wait, I love how it is cute, but he didn't even, I told him like years later, I'm like, you know, you did that. He goes, I never, I would never say that you were engaged. And I show him the text. He goes, oh man, <laughs> this is such, okay. I don't know why it just dawned on me until now, but your ex is like Roy from the office. <laughs> yes. Okay. Literally, yes. Pam, he is Jim. That's exactly what happened. And we did not recreate that. We're both huge office fans. He went through a lot of like dating stuff while we were best friends. And that's why I tell people like it was platonic. Like I was waiting for this guy to get snatched up so we could go on family vacations, double dating. It was ridiculous. Yeah. He had this big idea that he was going to get a wife and I was going to get married. And then we'd all go on vacations together and our kids would be best friends. How did he feel about Roy though? Does he even want to hang out with Roy at this point? No. Roy was so rude to him. And he he was very clear about it after we we'll get to pool Mageddon. Pool Mageddon is when it all like shit hit the fan. Wait, let's talk about pool Mageddon. So this is like when things ended for real. This was the breaking point of my mental health and the entire situation. Many, many things happened. That year was absolutely like Mercury was in Gatorade for me. And- <laughs> 
So what happened was we were actually in the sound booth at work and he sent he he played it on the loudspeaker. He was like, I really think you should hear this because I had been telling him about the abuse for months at that point. He was not a stranger to it. He didn't pry, but he was there for me. So he put it on the loudspeaker and it was this TikTok from this comedian who was talking about your love life and your life being a puzzle and how a lot of people will start from the center and work their way out. And that center is that person you think you have to have. But people fail to realize that your life and who you are is built on the edges of the puzzle. And if you start from the center outward and that centerpiece is wrong, the whole puzzle is wrong. He apparently, I think that he meant a lot with that, but subconsciously just like he, I don't think he realized what he was doing, but started to get this little thing in my gut. Like, why did he send me that? Like, why the fuck did he send me that? And I, and I knew why, but it took me 24 hours. And so I remember laying in bed thinking, why the fuck did he send me that? And there's this man sitting, like laying next to me who doesn't even love me. And I'm on my phone listening to this thing over and over and over. And I text Roy and I'm like, why the fuck did you send me this? And he's like, what do you mean? Wait, you mean Jim? Yes. Oh my God. I switched them up. You switched it up. And I was like, wait a second. Now I'm confused. Who's abusing you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for everyone listening. Roy is the ex and Jim is, okay, I got it now. Wait, I already made mental notes of how to edit, but now I was getting confused because I was like, wait a second. Did I get this messed up? Like, is Jim actually the bad guy? Okay, Okay, so- Jim was texting you. Jim, I was texting Jim. I was like, Jim, why the fuck did you send this to me? And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, the fuck you don't. Like, what do you, why did you send this to me? Like, what are you trying to do to my brain right now? And he's like, well, Roy's your puzzle piece, right? And I was like, fuck you, right? So the next day we both get invited to a mutual friend's pool party. And she's a close friend that also works with us who was told she, <clears throat> this bitch, I'm going to call her Angela. This bitch, Angela was like, the entire time she was like, I want to rip that ring off your finger and you should like date him. You should date Jim. And I was like, you're crazy. I have a fiance. And she was like, that's, that's manageable. We can work around that. She's like details, details. Yeah. She's like, I don't give a fuck. I don't like him. But I I was so deep in it. I thought like, I can't start over now. Like I'm eight years into this. I'll be an old maid at 27. I was so fucked in the head. So we went to her pool party and I sit down, I, I took an edible. Okay. And I pounded a couple of drinks and I sat down in the pool and she was like, how you doing? And I said, Jim sent me this video. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't tell her who actually I, I did, but I don't think she heard it because funny enough, their names are very similar. I get them. They, she would get them mixed up. And so I sat down and I said, so-and-so sent me this video and she watched it and she was like, oh, it sounds like Roy is making an effort. <laughs> and I was like, not Roy. Jim sent me this. And she like screamed. And then she goes, oh, no, you have a problem. I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, Jim likes you, but you don't like Jim. And I just kind of like my little drunken face was like, "Mm, I do have a problem, but I don't think it's that one. And she yelled. And then we drunk called him and left him a thousand voicemails. Like, get like, hurry the fuck up. Get your ass over here, Jim. Why aren't you at the pool? Like, I very much instigated a a lot of this. And he gets there in his fucking Hawaiian shirt. Like this man has a Hawaiian shirt for every day of the week. It is hilarious. And I run up to him and I look him dead in the eyes. And I was like, you sent me that video, Jim. He goes, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And we were very much just dancing around this most of the night until finally I kept alluding to it, but wanting him to say it. And he was like, I think if you and your ex weren't together, you and I would have had a different type of relationship. And it was very like, meet cute the office because I was on the stairwell and he was like up on another floor of the stairwell looking down at me like saying that and I was like "Uh uh-huh 
Oh, shit. Yeah. And then, and then the timeline of events gets crazy. I went, I went back to my ex the next morning. He had, Jim and I slept on different parts of different couches. Like I made sure nothing, nothing happened like that. The next morning I went back, I told my ex, Hey, repeat of four years ago, but this time it's actually serious. This is my best friend. We can go to therapy or we can break up. And he opted for therapy. Surprisingly, I watched him manipulate the therapist for weeks. Jim went to his grandmother's funeral. He and I basically thought we were never going to speak again because I was going to therapy with my ex and I was not allowed to talk to him at this point. Like my ex was like, you cannot ever see him again, basically. And then one day this was like within there was two weeks of silence with me and Jim when I was going to therapy with my ex and hating every second of it and very confused. One day I had to patch Jim into a work call. I was supposed to, I got the blessing from my ex to patch him in because my boss asked me to, but that was it. I had to hang up right after. And I didn't because the moment I heard his voice, like everything was fine. So like we talked and we laughed for like 30 minutes. We didn't even talk about anything serious. We just, oh my God, I can hear your voice. You know, then my ex called me in the middle of that. It's almost like he knew, you know? So I picked up and I told him, I'm like, I talked to Jim and he started screaming, screaming. I had to go and, and hide in a janitor's closet or like a closet because I was crying so hard because he was screaming so much. And then in the middle of this and after this, I swear to God, I'm going to let you talk. I'm so sorry. It's just so Oh my much. God. No, no, no. It's fine. You're, you're, you're doing great. <laughs> so I was in the closet crying, 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 crying. And he was screaming to the point where like people could hear him screaming like from outside the closet, I think, because people were trying to check on me. This was work. This was not okay behavior. All of the sudden, and Jim is Jewish, by the way, Roy is not. All of a sudden, in the middle of the screaming, he he yells, all of this for a Jew? You could have heard like a pin drop in that closet at that point. My tears stopped. The noise stopped. He stopped. And I was angry. And I was angry because he attacked my best friend and that was anti-Semitic. So like there was this silence, the, as much abuse that happened to me wasn't enough to leave. But the minute he said that, I was like, I can't marry this person or have kids with this person. And so there was a beat of silence. All my tears were gone. I sniffled, I stood up and he was like, well, not to be racist. And I was like, mm, nope, it already happened. Ah, there's no backspace, buddy. There's there's no backspace for that. This is you can't control alt delete this shit like put no that's clown behavior. You might as well be wearing a swastika at this point. I remember walking out of that closet, not knowing what the fuck to do, but knowing something was different. And I got home and this is all very complicated because my name is on that house. My dogs are in that house and he is a vindictive person. So I get home and for 72 hours, I didn't know what to do. And I just kind of floated around like a zombie. And at this point, I'm still not allowed to talk to Jim. And he started to like do things like wish Jim would die in different ways. Like I was like making oatmeal one morning in those 72 hours. And he was like, I hope he dies in a car crash on his way back. And I hope that his car does this or that. And I was like, oh my God, I was in the shower and he was trying to like be nice. And I just didn't want him in there. And finally he was like, well, what do you want? He got mad because his like approach wasn't working. So he was like, what do you fucking want? Like, do you want space or do you want to try to make this work? And I was like, I think I want to break up for the moment. Like, I think I want some space. I don't know if I want to stay broken up forever, but for right now, I want to not be with you and you not be with me and we can date other people if that's what we want to do. And he was like shocked and he was upset. And so I just left. I got in my car and I left and I was crying because I couldn't believe I did that. And then I landed at a friend's house and we watched Big Hero 6. And then in the middle of the movie, 
I texted Jim and I was like, this doesn't mean we're dating, but I broke up with him. He immediately called me and we talked for like six hours and it was just so nice. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This is what I've been talking about in therapy recently. Sometimes it just feels like there are just simply not enough hours in the day. And if you had one more hour to do something for you, what would you do? Your knee jerk reaction like me would be to do something somewhat productive. You probably need therapy also like me. I spent a lot of time at shoving my emotions and feelings down because honestly, I don't like feeling uncomfortable with all those negative emotions and therapy has been a helpful tool for me to stop doing that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash B-U-B-D to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash B-U-B-D to get 10% off your first month. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-U-B-D. You know what's really awkward? Talking about sex on an ad read you know your family's listening to. But you know what's even more awkward? Having bad sex. And you know what? If you want to start having better sex immediately, the best way to get started is to go to adamandeve.com right now. Adam and Eve is offering 50% off just about any item. And you can get free shipping, which includes rush processing, so you can start having that better sex ASAP. And that's not all. When you select your one item, you'll also get a free sex kit that includes an item for him, a special toy for her, and something we know you will both enjoy. Better sex is just a click away. That's 50% off one item, a three item sex kit, six free movies, free shipping with rush processing and free shipping with rush processing. Just go to adamandeve.com, select any one item and enter offer code Abby, A-B-B-Y at checkout. That's Abby, A-B-B-Y at adamandeve.com. This is an exclusive offer specific to this podcast. So be sure to use this code. That's code Abby. Because there was no pressure to date him. Even during the whole thing, before he left and before we had the two weeks of silence, he knelt by my car like the last time he saw me when he thought it was going to be the last time he'd ever see me. And he was like, listen, you don't have to date me. I'm not doing this because you have to date me. And I like have to date you. Don't get me wrong. It would be nice. But like, (laughs) but like, that's not what has to happen. I just you can't be with him. You can't. Like, you can't. He, he turned to me. He was like, in five years or so, I'm going to have a wife and I'm going to have a kid. And that's what I want. Like, that is my dream in this life. And I think it should be with you. And he said, it doesn't have to be, though. But what are you going to do if in five years you're still with this person who's abusing you and you're not married and you don't have the baby that you want? And you look up my Facebook like that other guy and I'm with someone else that should have been you. And I was like, you got some balls, dude. (laughs) And he was like, look, you don't have to date me, but please, like, please just basically like get out for yourself. It gets really fucked up after that. Everything has brought us to this point and things get much worse. Literally how? Okay. Yeah. Proceed. I kept in contact with my ex for six months and he would do this thing where he would be super, super nice and then screaming at me the next day because his niceness wasn't working and because he could see me falling in love with this other person. I was very much emotionally not sure what to do with my ex and emotionally and physically invested in this other person while at the same time knowing that none of this was ideal and I needed to be focused on myself and I wasn't sure how to balance all of this, but it the timing was bad. But what am I going to do? Turn down my best friend because the timing is bad. Like I needed to figure it out. And so we didn't go a for like six months because I told him, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to date you. And it needs to be open-ended with the both of you because I need to date myself. This is where it unravels. (sighs) Tangent parallel story. 
Coolmageddon was like June 11th. Me telling him that we're done for a little while, maybe indefinitely, probably indefinitely was July, weekend of like July 4th. This is why all this is so hard to dissect because when I think back to this time and I cry, it's not for him. On July 11th, one of my best friends was attacked and basically murdered and left on railroad tracks. And I found out from the news station I worked at. And to this day, he is alive, but he has a traumatic brain injury and it is very severe. So I found out he was in a coma about seven days after this breakup and everything changed. I had been upset about my ex. And the minute I saw my friend's face on the news, basically saying, say your goodbyes. I was in my car and my mom texted me the picture. I wound up being able to drive to the house because that was the closest thing to me. And I got in the shower. And once again, at this point, he's my ex, but my ex got in there with me again and like bought me food and stuff, but it didn't feel genuine. It felt like he was just trying to use this situation to get me back, to be like there for me. When in reality, nobody needed to be there for me. They needed to be there for my friend. And the first person I called was Jim. And Jim matched my donation on the GoFundMe immediately without saying anything, without like bragging about it. I just saw his name pop up on it. He hunted down the hospital that my friend was at. He looked up all the family members and friends on like different social media in case I didn't have them. He cried with me. Like he didn't know my friend and he cried on the phone. Like I was inconsolable and he was like crying, trying to help me. My ex was only concerned about what that situation could do for him. And after that, Nothing else mattered. I was spending my weekends and my evenings going to like neurological centers and watching him in a wheelchair learn how to like lift his arm again. It was the whole the whole year that everything was just one big Oprah special clusterfuck like I can't even. And so at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to who's there for you and who genuinely wants you to feel loved and wants to be with you and share a life with you instead of owning you. I think you and I talked about that. And my ex kind of summed it up perfectly. He said, I don't think I ever loved you. I think I was just obsessed with you. And shortly after he realized me and Jim were dating, which I never explicitly told him, he kind of just figured it out. He told me I was never going to see my two dogs again. And he blocked me on everything and stole them. I cry about that to this day because those are my babies. And I don't think... My, my name's on the adoption papers for the girl. Like She was my dog. They were both my dogs. They were both my idea. They were my dogs. They were our dogs. But I think he probably lied to his family and everybody when, when he took them. He probably told them, oh, she cheated on me and left them. And he stole my babies. Like the last day that I was there, because like I said, we went back and forth for like six months. I was there. Um, we weren't physical or anything, but I just wanted to sleep in my bed with my dogs all three of them. He wound up finding some TikToks that I had made, like making light of the abuse because it's how I was coping. He was pissed because his like 18 year old cousin saw one. And I was like, good. Maybe they'll know like what you did. Maybe don't do bad things. And so he started screaming at me and I was like, all right, so you're mad that I made a TikTok about the abuse, not calling you out by name. Nobody knew who he was. I never said his name. I never posted pictures of him. I didn't, nobody knew who he was. So in, in response to me talking about my experience with you and how you said all of this for a Jew, you are now screaming at me again. I looked at my dogs and I looked at my baby girl and I said, I'm coming back for you. So I can't, I can't take them from each other. You know, he technically owned the boy and I owned the girl and they were attached at the hip. And if I had separated them, they would not have been okay. So I said, I'm coming back. Like I will see you again. Um, and he blocked me after that. 
The six months after he blocked me, I wound up going to the house when I felt safe enough to just stand on the sidewalk. I didn't step on his property. He'd sold it. I'd sold it back to him at this point. I just stood outside because there was this big window that they would always look out. And I just wanted to make sure they were alive. I wanted to make sure he hadn't given them away, you know, and uh, I wanted to make sure he was going to love them like he never loved me. That's that's what I wanted. And she um. She came to the window and looked at me like I wasn't real because it had been six months and she freaked out and I freaked out and she could hear me. And I know she could hear me because you can hear things through that window. And then she disappeared for a second. And I was like, no, where the fuck are you going? You know, like, come back. And he popped up with her. She went to go get him. In that moment, I knew that was it. And he called the police. <laughs> he must have told them that, like, there was this psycho with a gun outside his door or something because they sh- three of them showed up and there's this girl crying. <laughs> and they were like, ma'am, how many times have you been here in the last six months? I said, just this one time. And I just wanted to make sure that my dogs are OK because I started dating someone else and he took them. And they go, yeah, you're going to have to take him to court for the one that you own. And I said, that's not going to happen because I'm not going to separate them like that. They don't deserve that. And so they actually were like, do you want us to call him and see if he'll come out with them? I told them I don't want to take them from him. I just want to hold them one last time. And um, they got on the phone with him for like five minutes or so. And the cop was pacing back and forth outside the house. And then he got off the phone and said... He never wants you to see those dogs again. And I said, I know. And then he wound up dumping all the rest of my stuff in a storage shed. And I went to go pick it up. And he left me a fake Christmas present with dogs on the outside of it with a little like goodbye spiteful note on the inside. And it was like his ha ha, I have your dogs kind of moment. He still has them. They look healthy. It's, it's funny, this this karmic thing of the universe. I'm, I'm with my best friend now and I have the best life in the entire world. I have an amazing job. Um, I recently started an Etsy making Taylor Swift outfits and it has over 100,000 views and like 70 orders in two months. Uh, like I'm doing everything I love with the person that I love. So we're having a good time. <laughs> I think it's hard for people who don't have pets to understand that when you adopt a dog or a cat or a fucking hedgehog or whatever like those things really become like your babies and while I understand it's maybe not exactly the same as like a child that you grow it is something that you grow to love like a child and so first of all I want to commend you for doing the quote-unquote right thing and doing what you knew what was best for your dogs because I'm sure that's kind of haunting to wonder like how they're doing with your because we saw how he treated you so how is he really going to treat these dogs he loved them he loved them more than me he loved them more than any person on this earth that is the one thing i will say about him is he loves those dogs i also had this thing in me where i was like i don't want to leave him alone you know because i knew he wasn't going to date anybody else and i knew that taking them would actually cause him real pain i don't think he felt real pain with losing me I think he lost an object. And I do think that he used the dogs as a pawn to hurt me. But I I did what I could. And I told the truth the whole time. There were no lies ever. It was messy, but there were no lies. The dogs, I would have won that court case for her. And I knew that, but I didn't want to do that. And I want a couple of kids. And I want those kids to have the best dad they could possibly have with someone who planned them and wanted them and will love them and will never make them feel unsafe. I don't want those kids to ever watch their mother hurt or their father hurt because of each other. And I know that I made the decision 
for those unborn children that will give them the best life possible in addition to giving me the best life possible. So I sacrificed, I didn't even sacrifice two dogs. They're very happy and they're with each other. I sacrificed being able to have them myself. This whole story has just been like so heartbreaking to hear your experience and the fact that you've come out of it with like, like I love a happy ending. Like I do love that you're in a good place, but I know it hasn't been easy. Um, It's happy as fuck right now. Let me tell you. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. (laughs) You've talked a lot about how he almost didn't treat you like like a person. He treated you a lot like an object. That's kind of what I'm getting from what you're telling me. And he was like obsessed with owning you rather than loving you. Yeah. Why do you think that is for him? Do you think he had like control issues? Do you think he had a lack of empathy for people? I think definitely a lack of empathy. You know how when you look in someone's eyes and there's just nothing there and it's just really scary? Mm-hmm. There was just, they, they were blank. They were completely blank. And I, that's the thing that I remember the most about him was he had huge dilated pupils and little rings of blue around them. Towards the end, I specifically would hold his face and stare into his eyes and see absolutely no emotion. And I don't think he was born that way. I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose what's going on there. But I I do have compassion for him because as much as I want to hate him, I don't. I don't love him, but I don't hate him. I'm very indifferent. I hate what happened. But I see these stories on the news like Gabby Petito, and I look into that person's eyes, into Brian's eyes. And it's haunting how familiar it is. And I and I I don't want to say that my ex is capable of that. I don't want to put that on him. I think the men and women in those situations don't realize what they're capable of until after it's too late. Because you get into this trauma bond that is so deep-seated in some sort of narcissistic ego control trip. The other person stops seeing you as a person and starts seeing you as their property. And they can do whatever they want with their property, right? And I don't think half the time... They think it's love, too. They think it's love. That's why that guy killed himself after. He, he He's a narcissist. He was too ashamed of what he did not to like bring that family into it because just I have compassion for them too. And like, I'm not trying to like rehash their trauma because I've also been on the receiving end of looking at the news and my loved one is almost dead. You know, it's it's horrific. I, I really like what that family, what the Petito family is doing because they're shedding light on domestic violence in a way that it helped me. I think what happened to her happened a couple months after my breakup. And they said something along the lines of if you're in this situation right now, even if it's not the same. Even if you don't think that your partner could ever do this, you know, she didn't think he, nobody thought anybody, nobody think, no, your brain doesn't go there. Like get out. And if you aren't going to get out for yourself, get out for Gabby. And this isn't to paint him out as this evil murdering psychopathic. There's a lot of parallels with certain things, but I think that I got out and saved both of our lives because I would have been hurt and he would have been in jail or we would have been miserable forever. You know, like he can now live in his house with the dogs, loving them more than he ever loved me. And I, and I guess my message to other girls is like, even if there's something to love in that person that you're with, like if he's put his hands on you and even if he hasn't, even if it's just emotional at this point, it doesn't get better. And I'm not saying that my ex could have killed me or that yours will, but why take that chance? He didn't know how to get out because he couldn't leave because he was obsessed with me. And I didn't know how to get out. I couldn't leave because I was obsessed with making it work. And the only thing I can say to him, I don't think he'll ever hear this, but if he is listening is that you don't have to be the bad guy anymore. 
I'm sorry that I made you the bad guy for all those years. And and yes, the stuff that you did was not okay. But I have a new story now and I hope you do too. And I hope that you don't hurt anyone like that ever again. And you don't get hurt like that ever again if you were hurt. I think the fact that you left him with the dogs looking out for his best interest is proof that you you genuinely want the best for this person. And even still, like even after the relationship has ended, you found something, maybe not to love, but something you can appreciate the good that you saw left in him because you saw him be good to those dogs and you saw that that would be the best course for him and for your pets. Talk to me a little yep. bit about the the trauma bond that you've been talking about throughout the relationship, because I think for people that are listening that have never experienced that kind of relationship, it's very confusing because when we hear trauma bond, and I've used misused this term a thousand times where people think I have trauma and you have trauma and we bond over that trauma, but it's so much more complex than that. Can you talk a little bit about how that dynamic played out in your relationship? The trauma bond... <laughs> It wasn't like we came with trauma that we dumped on each other. He and I traumatized each other for eight years. And when I say traumatized each other, I say that to be fair, but to be honest, it does feel like I was being traumatized. The trauma came from years of abuse. And then once you start to go through all of that with someone, it's very chemical. The the chemicals in your body, the cortisol, the adrenaline, the ups and the downs, you get used to it. And I've been in years of therapy for like CPTSD that I've kind of talked about this with, but I had to go to years of therapy to not do that with my current boyfriend because I would start fights because I didn't realize that's not how a relationship works. Mm. It's from 19 to 27. It was daily occurrences of abusive fighting. Well, it sounds like your only moments of intimacy, whether it be physical or emotional, came from those blow up fights. You guys would get heated and either like have sex or come to some kind of like emotional agreement of, okay, we're good now. Usually that, okay, we're good now never happened either. He refused to ever give me closure. And he was like that up until the end. He almost enjoyed me not knowing. He left me in my feelings to freak the fuck out. I have a big fear of that to this day of being left in the middle of an argument. The trauma of the relationship took on a life of its own. That's what people don't understand. And it feels like if you leave that person, you will die. When he broke up with me the second time, I was suicidal and I had a mental breakdown. When he would break up with me, I would want to die. And it didn't feel like some melodramatic, like overreaction to get him back. It wasn't that. It was legitimate. And it wasn't a broken heart, like connected to any type of like emotional love. It was my physical body, my well-being and my emotional health and my existence on this planet will completely crumble if this person is no longer in communication with me. It's a drug because you're, the chemicals in your body get dependent on the ups and the downs. And so the trauma bond, and, and again, I'm not a doctor. So a lot of the stuff I could be saying is like from my own lens may not be 100% accurate, but from my understanding and from what I went through, the trauma bond is if you leave, I cannot breathe. I will not, I will cease to function. But when you think about it and you stop to actually ask yourself why that is, you have no answer. I would ask myself, why do I love him? I had no answer. I would ask him that all the time. Why do you love me? He'd say things like, you're funny. He had no answer. I didn't understand like why we were still in this, but I I could not leave. Did you have any positive relationships growing up? Like, did you have any good examples of positive, healthy relationships? Did you think that this cycle of abuse was just normal. Like this is just how it is. Like everyone says relationships are hard and this is just, this is just it. That was exactly my thought process. My parents are great. They're a lot better now than they were when I was a kid and they were great parents and they weren't by any means abusive, but they did fight a lot. 
I didn't really have an example of like a super healthy romantic relationship in my life. So that definitely played into it. Um, But it's not their fault. I mean, they were just going through some stuff and they're better now. But for me, this Jim comes back into it because at one point he was talking about how he had the job he always wanted and he was living in this city that he'd moved to. And and he was like, I just want that person that like I can share all this with. And I'm so sad that I don't have that. And I was like, that doesn't exist. And he goes, what are you talking about? I was like, that doesn't exist. Like relationships suck. They're hard and you just have to get through it. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He goes, that is not normal. How long have you been living like this? (laughs) And I was like, I I don't know what to tell you. I'm a few years older than you. Like you just haven't experienced it yet. And he was like, let me tell you, like you need to romanticize your life because the only person who's going to romanticize your life is you. And I was like, what kind of Oprah show did you pop off of? Like, what is this? Like, dear John, whatever. You know, I thought he was crazy. And that man, he has taught me how to romanticize my life more than anybody. Do you feel differently about love? now having been in this relationship, you would say the same thing to somebody? Yes. All the disgusting stuff. My my biggest thing is you do not have to initially have some sort of crazy sexual flaunting immediate relationship. Like a lot of people are like, oh, you can't be friends with someone. You're not attracted to them. That's not the case. There's all types of different situations. My biggest takeaway is like all of that stuff you see in movies can 100% be for you. You just have to be open to it, not shut it down. And you have to be really self-aware. There's a lot of stuff I do not like about myself. And there's a lot of stuff that I've hurt my current partner with or that bad habits that I have or tendencies that I brought from previous relationships that are not so nice. And you can work on all that. I I would say that that feeling of like that perfect relationship, perfect doesn't exist, but you can get really fucking close. (laughs) But yeah, no, I definitely believe in all that sappy shit. You know how when you watch a movie, I feel like we all did this as kids, but like, I feel like a lot of us still do this as adults. You see yourself in the characters and you play out the little romance and then you put yourself in like Rapunzel's shoes and who's Flynn Rider or, you know, whatever. I would do that but I would always picture a stranger. Even when I was in my previous relationship, I would picture a stranger because I knew he didn't feel that for me and vice versa. So I would live out these fantasies in my own head and subconsciously in my dreams, it would always be a stranger. I hadn't met my person yet. I don't do that anymore. My Flynn Rider is my current boyfriend and my whatever you want to call him, you know? Like it wouldn't have mattered if my current boyfriend was a girl. The same thing would have happened. It's his soul that I'm attracted to. And if you can start with that, it shouldn't be hard. If it's hard, then you're doing it wrong. You're going to have tough times, but like if overall your relationship is difficult and it's taxing and it makes you upset, it's completely wrong. And I'm very black and white about that. If overall your relationship makes you unhappy, that's not, that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm in like the stage of life where all my friends are dating shitty guys. And if if, if 50% is terrible and 50% is giddy, haha, laugh, love you. I'm always like, okay, but I feel like 51% is bad. So you should dump him because it just shouldn't be. I'm a little bit of a hopeless romantic where I'm like, if you have to think about if this is good for you or not, or if like you're constantly like having to go to bat with your partner, there are people out there that will treat you well, but it's, it's important for people like you to share your story because if you come from a place of thinking, this is what love looks like. And that love is a cycle of a, of abuse or just toxicity, you don't know any better. So you just stay in it. So what would you tell somebody that maybe doesn't know that a, a healthy, positive, 
relationship that maybe looks somewhat like the movies exist? I would say it's like trying to describe a color you haven't seen yet. Like you, you've seen blue, you've seen purple, you've seen pink, and maybe you're with someone that's blue and purple sometimes, right? You know what to expect, but you cannot describe a color you haven't seen before. You can't describe a feeling you haven't had. You shouldn't pretend that you know that this thing doesn't exist that you never have experienced. Just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it's not out there for you. And I think a lot of us get so, especially women and especially straight women, I don't identify as straight, but I might as well. I'm with a man and I want kids and I want a heterosexual relationship in the long term. We get this clock ticking and we're like, oh, I have invested. We don't give up. We've invested so much time. I spent my entire 20s with the wrong person. How much of an ego slap to the face is it going to be if I walk away at almost 30, no kids, no marriage, and someone else swoops in and takes the benefit of my hard work? Get rid of that. That was where I was for eight years. Get the fuck rid of that. Because guess what? No one's swooping in to steal your hard work because you didn't do the hard work. You just tortured yourself for eight years and you got nowhere. And I asked Jim at one point, I was like, how? how do I give up eight years of this? And he was like, well, would you rather give up the last eight years of your life or would you rather give up the next 50? And I was like, how old are you? He was 23 at the time, 24. I was like, how, the f- how fucking old are you? What the fuck? You're wearing golf shirts to work, telling me to romanticize my life and talking about what you're going to name your future children. Magnolia and Zoe, by the way, when we were friends, those he was like, I'm going to have two girls and their names are going to be Magnolia and Zoe. And I was like, all right, what if you have a boy? I'm returning him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to be a girl, dad. That's all he wants. And I tell him all the time, because like in a couple years, that's the, we're going to try for that. And I'm like, literally, you are going to get two boys and that's all the universe is going to give you. <laughs> but the thing he doesn't realize is that he's going to be an awesome boy dad because that little boy will be able to cry, will be able to feel, will be able to be himself, will be able to watch princess movies, can go to like NASCAR races if he wants to, but can also tell his dad like, I had a really bad day and and all my friends are being mean and I just want to cry and he's going to be able to. And we need more boys like that in the world because personally, I think my ex was one of those boys who wasn't allowed to do that. And while I am a feminist and it makes me absolutely insanely, incredibly mad when people are like, not all men, you know, there are things in these gender roles that need to change on both sides. And I don't think he understands that the universe is going to give him exactly the kid that he needs to have. And it's probably going to be a boy. (laughs) (laughs) It always is. It's always the one that you either aren't expecting. Like, I don't plan to have kids anymore, but I always was like, I'm going to be a boy mom because girls are hard. And I'm like, fuck, if I have kids, I just know I'm going to get like seven girls. I would be cool with a girl and a boy, but also it's like another podcast for another time. Like gender is this notion. And at the end of the day, you have a person. That's why I'm so not so black and white with my ex and why it it does fuck me up a little because it's hard to give him any compassion without without invalidating how I feel about the abuse. How do I give you some humanity back without taking all of mine away or make it because he would always call me the abuser. So like If I validate him at all, I'm the bad guy. So I made him the bad guy the whole time. But now, like on the other side of it, there was a clear abuser. I'm not going to say that there wasn't. But I think at this stage in my life, I can give him some humanity back without letting go of all mine. And he's a person. It sounds like you also dealt with that in a different way. It sounds like you dealt with a little bit of self-hatred yourself. Can you talk about how that played a role in your relationship? Yeah, I was very weak. I had a deadly eating disorder for a lot of my life, especially while I was with him. Um, and he he took pleasure in fixing me. 
So it was this dynamic of I was dependent on him physically, emotionally, mentally, and he definitely thrived that way. So when I stopped needing him as much, the dynamic threw itself off course. I have depression, anxiety. um, A lot of the self-hatred comes from the depression. And I also have like five different autoimmune diseases. So I was constantly like, I'm a fuck up. I have these emotional, I I have a really hard time, like, or I did have a hard time regulating my emotions. I would have breakdowns. Like I just saw myself as this out of control mess who was an absolute burden to everybody around her. And a big theme of me not leaving was I could not find better. And if I did, I would fuck that person up. If I found Jim, I was not Pam. I was some psycho. So like, I should just stay with another psycho who has, because he he was also, I mean, and I'm not to say, if you have mental health issues, you're a psycho, that this is just how I was perceiving myself. But he he was diagnosed with quite a few things as well. Um, so like I was like, nobody else is going to understand the darkness in me. No one else is going to understand the suicidal ideations. No one else is going to understand the fact that I starve myself on a regular basis and I can't get out of the cycle. This person who also happens to be in this abusive cycle with me is the only person who understands my dark side. Because I want someone who understands everything. And I thought I had to live in my mental illness and I had to live in my physical illness. And it was all that I could see myself being. And once I started to heal after the abusive relationship, this made me happy. I had my blood work done three weeks ago for the first time in five years. And there is something called an anti-nuclear antibody test, which kind of gauges the general level of how autoimmune you are. And for the first time in like seven years, it was negative. And I, I know, snaps for that bitch. Am I going to sit here and say that like who you surround yourself with and how you think about life and go about life is going to cure your depression and your diseases? No, like I'm not going to sit there and insult people that also have ridiculous, like, disabilities like I do and be like, oh, if you just think that you're happy, you'll be happy. No, you need therapy and medications and you need to actually get treatment and it's hard and sometimes it doesn't go away and, but it will be all right, but it can't hurt to do the most that you can for yourself. And if you think you don't deserve someone who's healthy because you're not, stop thinking about it that way and think, hey, this healthy person will be a good influence on my mind and body. Maybe it'll rub off a little bit. Maybe it'll help me get to a space where I want that for myself. So that was a lot of it. And that self-hatred that I had, I still have some of it, but nowhere near as much. And on days that I have a lot of it, I just look at this person who's next to me and I'm like, clearly all of me can't be that bad. You know, I think a lot of the self-hatred comes from not to say that we need other people to validate who we are and like to feel lovable, but sometimes it does take somebody else looking at us and saying, I see something lovable in you for you to say, okay, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe. Cause it's so easy to spiral. I, I mean, I was just, before we got on this call, I was on the phone with my mom, like spiraling about I'm, and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. And she's like, I don't see any of that. Like I see yeah. none of that. It's funny. Cause I have felt the same way too. And it's very much cliche Taylor Swift antihero. And she has a problem, like feeling like a human hey. and she's like, I'm the problem, but <laughs> what, what better person to make you feel more human than someone that you admire and you see so much like beautiful humanity and to like validate that for you. So I'm so glad you and Jim ended up together. Let me tell you the biggest red flag about my ex. It's not any of the abuse. Do you know what it is, Abby? Hated Taylor Swift. Hated Taylor Swift. And he was a Kanye stan. Shut up. And I think we could have all seen that coming from how the story has gone. But like towards the end of the breakup and everything, he started buying me the Taylor's version vinyls to like get me back (laughs) inside. And I still have them in my house. I was like, I'm throwing away everything else. But mother stays. (laughs) 
That's wildly ironic that the songs you're probably sobbing to thinking about him are also the ones that he is buying you trying to get you back. Would have, could have, should have absolutely left the biggest hole in my heart. Okay, final last notes. Do you have any like anything we haven't covered that you want to tell the people that are listening about trauma bonds and abusive relationships or just the Taylor Nation vinyls and (laughs) all that? I think I'm going to go back to Gabby Petito. I can't ever stop thinking about her, even though I don't I didn't know her. That family is saving lives. And more importantly, they're shining a light on missing women of color. That's a big thing here. I'm a white woman and my abuse, if something had happened to me, would have been televised on every single screen throughout the country. But how many women of color go missing and whose partners kill them or whose partners abuse them every day? And nobody gives a fuck. So I think I want to end by saying to go follow the Gabby Petito Foundation and to continue the conversation about domestic violence, especially when it comes to the stuff that's that's shameful. Like you don't think it's abuse, but it is. And then you can't quite you don't want to villainize the other person. Like, don't think about it that way. Just protect yourself. And I just want to shed a light on how differently different races are treated when it comes to these hot topics, because It's really fucked up that if I'd gone missing as a white woman, I would have gotten national televised attention and a woman of color wouldn't have. Tune in on Thursday's breakdown bonus episode for a conversation about trauma bonds with a licensed mental health professional. It is going to be such an impactful conversation where we are really going to dive deeper into some of the nitty gritty parts of this episode. And of course, definitely check out the Eventbrite link for the Breakup Breakdown podcast brunch and use code HOTGOSS8 for 10% off your order. I'll see you whenever you decide to tune in next.